Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I left academia about one year ago to become a scientific editor for grants and manuscripts and an editorial manager for a science website. I'm Ian, and I've recently left academia to move into a science communication, editing, and publishing career. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about two years ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Hi, welcome back to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Clady, and I'm here with Amanda and Ian. And today, we're going to continue our series of interviews. And today, we are going to interview Amanda. So, Amanda, she graduated in 2010 with a PhD in medical science with concentration in biochemistry and molecular biology. And then she went to do a postdoc in molecular physiology. In 2015, she started as an editorial manager for Bite Size Bio. And in the summer of 2016, she started her own scientific editing and consulting company, Scientific Dispatches Consulting. Hi, Amanda. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Recovery Academic Podcast. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> so, can you tell us more about yourself and how you got there? Sure. So, I guess um, it. I had always thought that I was going to end up going into um, some sort of professor type position. I didn't really think much about the alternatives until I started interviewing for a position at a small um, medical college down in South Florida. And during that time, I was really hooked on the idea of teaching. I already knew I was kind of getting tired of being at the bench. And they really wanted somebody who could jumpstart their research program. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is not what I want to do. Like. It's like this, like, I don't really care for what I'm doing right now. And so to continue doing it would just be kind of silly. So this was like in the middle of your postdoc? Yeah. Well, towards, it was the, towards the end of my postdoc, probably about the year or so before I finished my postdoc or before I uh, quit my postdoc, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um... I turned down the position and I postdoced for another year. And during that time, I started working part-time for Bite Size Bio as their editorial manager because I liked editing. I had been doing it throughout um, the end of my grad school career and then throughout my postdoc. Um, I'd edit manuscripts for people and then grants for my PI as well as other PIs because that was something that I enjoyed doing. And I really liked what I was doing with uh, Bite Size Bio during that year. So I guess it was about a year ago last summer I decided that I would quit and do the editing thing full time because that's what I enjoyed doing. And you could so, get paid for that, right? And I could get paid for that. That was the that was the other thing is that what helped with um, working with Bite Size Bio is that it helped me realize that, hey, somebody will pay me for doing this, which is good because, you know, money allows me 
uh, to eat and stuff. Money can be traded for goods and services. Services. <laughs> to quote Homer Simpson. Yes. <laughs> Quite literally. I was just exactly going to say those words. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Or Homer's brain specifically. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Money is a thing. And, and I guess that one of the things that uh, scary, at least, I don't know, it may scary people. It's just like whenever you're a postdoc, you have a salary and yes. it's, it might not be that much, but it's that salary and you have that salary every month. So how was the decision to finally leave a fixed salary for something that, because as far yes. as I understand, when you're editing, when you, you're like providing goods, so you, it depends on the demand, right? Right. So before leaving, um, so complete disclaimer here, I'm married. So I do have somebody who has a steady income as well. Um, so that made things a little bit less or a lot less scary to make that leap. Mm-hmm. Um, about the six months or so before I quit, we had started talking about me quitting because I was ready to be, I was ready to step back entirely and just be done. Um, so I, we started saving money so we could have about a six month cushion. So okay. we saved up, um, well, I guess it works out to be about three or four months cushion. But we basically mm-hmm. just started squirreling away money so that way we could, if for some reason I was totally without any pay with for three or four months, we could survive. Um, and hopefully it would give me enough time to find a job. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is that I knew since I had been working with Bite Size and I had started talking with other people about work of, that I was talking about doing freelance work, I started getting people who were inquiring about working with me over the summer. Hmm. So that made things a little bit less scary as well. Mm-hmm. But it was yeah. still, it's still, every so often I do still have that whole thing where I'm just like, I don't know how much money I'm going to make next month. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a definitely scary part. I mean, did mm-hmm. you, I mean, it sounds like you had, like, you are fairly certain about, the career you were transitioning into but did you have anything of like oh these are the careers i'm these are the options i'm closing off by going into an editorial position or did you just like oh this is what i'm doing now and that's fine so for me it's a so there was two things i had kind of mixed feelings so for me with switching to editorial like to switching to doing the editorial thing i was kind of like well this is a thing i'm doing now i'm yeah good enough to where people throw money at me for well not throw money at me because i don't make that much but like people (laughs) give me money for that um Mm -hmm. i did have some conflicted feelings about leaving academia in general because i had been affiliated with the university since i was 18 i had worked for the university since i was 18 like for a university in one shape way shape or form mm-hmm. i was a um, undergraduate research assistant so like i didn't i got money from them and i had always been an employee mm-hmm. so it was strange to suddenly not have those um perks yeah yep no i i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah as you're well aware now yeah yeah. So I had some of that. Um, I 
don't feel like by switching careers into working for like doing more of the editorial stuff I'm really shutting out a lot of other options um or any options that I'm shutting out aren't things that I really would have wanted to go into anyhow I guess if that makes sense mm-hmm yep yeah but it's great that uh, despite all those um like how can I say not um problems but like maybes you know and yeah like all this like money and, and uncertainty mm-hmm. and and the fact of living academia uh it seems that everything end up ended up doing well right yeah i mean everything's worked out so far so th- knock on wood <laughs> <laughs> but so far everything's working out so um I don't know what what also helped was I I talked to a lot of people before leaving I know that I talked to Clady mm-hmm. quite a bit like and then I talked to um I know I talked to Biochem Bell I talked to Gika on Twitter if you're familiar with her at Gika I talked mm-hmm. to her I worked with um Jennifer Polk who is a or who's a life coach and she specializes in working with PhDs so I worked with her um to kind of get some clarity about what I wanted to do in fact um so Jennifer I think at my like very first or it was either my first or my second like session with her um she was like what would you do if you weren't afraid and I was like oh I'd start my own editing company and she was like well maybe that's what you should be doing yeah yep And then, yeah. so tell tell us how, because you started with Bite Sides Bio, and then eventually mm-hmm. you did start with your own editorial company. Yes. Yeah, and so, and I still work with Bite Sides Bio, because it's been, mm-hmm. I really enjoy working with them. Um, we're, they, like, I enjoy working with the people. It's fun. I get to do a bunch of different things, like, outside of the grant editing manuscript editing box so i get to do mm-hmm. a little bit of content marketing and that sort of thing so how does it work uh, your own editorial company uh i mean yeah you you well, company you have your company a little bit but then uh do you advertise so, it's registered and everything right yeah hmm? yeah i'm registered in every like it, it is like companies seems a little grandiose but i did register with um the state to um become a single member llc so i technically i'm technically a small business owner yeah uh, i mean i think that counts I yes guess. i mean, oh, of I course mean one counts. person's a very small business but whatever. <laughs> yeah maybe in the future you can hire more people yeah so um i do advertise i am on the american medical writers association website they have a freelance directory so i'm on there Um, I advertise mm. through the Council of Scientific Editors, so they actually have a, it's, they have a, it's just basically a webpage where you can list that you work for manuscript preparation services, and so people can find you on there, and that's how some of my clients have found me. Um, and then I have let people know that I'm available for freelance work, um, on Twitter, just kind of randomly talking about, and not in a, um, like, hey, hire me to edit your stuff sort of way, but more of a, like, 
I do this. I do yeah. this. Like, it's just kind of, it's a normal thing. Like, on Twitter, I post about what I'm doing during the day. So when I post about, like, hey, I'm working from, like, I'm working from this great location today because I'm sitting out here at my porch or, you know, right. whatever, or I'm complaining about something that I'm doing or. Or you're saying you I have a special set of skills. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but that's not really like conscious advertising or no. I think about it as advertising. No, I mean, I find Twitter very much the passive advertising. Like, yeah. I mean, I share my content and like I talk about things that I'm willing to do and you know share what i write and where i've written but exactly i very much yes. don't see it as like super active promotion really yeah but in your case ian it's a little bit easier because uh if you're a writer and you're you wrote a piece you can post a right. tweet with the link and people are going to go there and read and in in the case if you are an editor you're not going to post a link of the grants that you just edit, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> and I can't because with everybody, like, I sign a um, confidentiality thing. Right. Of course, yeah. I mean, well, like, I edit too. So, like, it's not like, I mean, I obviously can't do that. Right. Uh, I mean, unless, yeah, well, I mean, like, if it's something that's going to be published on the internet, then, like, I could, I guess I could point to it and say, like, hey, I edited this. But, like, that seems sort of counter the point yeah. like the editor is supposed to like step away and not really claim credit <laughs> i feel like yeah yeah no so i mean like with twitter i mean i've gotten some people who have talked to me about you know like hey i know somebody or i'd like to work with you on that um but it's mostly been just kind of like casual observations about my day like today i talked about um working in google like editing a book i'm editing a um, short book in google docs right now which is awful google docs is awful for editing don't do it it's hmm. just not there yet yeah um I mean, yeah well i mean it, it's fine for if like a blog post it's fine right. if you're doing something short it's fine but like yeah. if you want the main problem is that if you want to this is getting kind of tedious but no, in like word or pages you can select something to where you don't see all the editing marks so it's easier to read and you can't do that in google docs and then you have all these little pop-up boxes and which is yeah something i recently realized you can do in word is hide some of your editorial marks yes in the track you can changes. hide most of your editorial marks in yeah. word and anyhow it's just it's a pain so like i put things out like that and then i get people who who do um either at me or dm me to say hey what's going on <laughs> like well not like hey what's going on but like hey you edit like i you edit i write maybe they could come together but it's not i don't want it to come across as i'm being like super spammy about it it's just i also i also will talk about what i ate for lunch or that my power went out for an hour yeah no i'm and... just like my my thing is like um it's not an obvious easy thing to advertise so and as we mentioned before you gotta eat so and <laughs> <laughs> so right. you need to i know that the word of mouth probably is the most efficient way so like yeah, if you do this effective. yeah if you do one then that person will tell another person and you will tell another person and eventually you will get lots of clients right yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I do um, some cold emailing, so I will email research departments or um, whatever, like at some of the local universities, it's called the Office of Sponsored Research or the Division of Sponsored Research, so I'll email them 
and basically say, hey, I'm a freelancer. I edit manuscripts. I see from your site that you have faculty members who might need some help because either, you know, then it kind of fill in the blank, like, you know, they don't offer something similar or they only offer it for grants above a certain amount or whatever. And I say, hey, would you mind recommending me as a freelancer to your faculty members? And I've gotten some no responses. Some people have said no and some people have said, sure, send me a CV. Yeah, I guess that you, you gotta... I mean, if you don't advertise yourself and mm-hmm. you don't believe in yourself, uh, then how can you expect others to do that, Ex- you know? Yeah, and that's been the right. hardest part of doing of this whole thing for me has been um, putting myself out there like that because I'm fairly introverted. Like, yeah. Like, Twitter is like a great medium for me because I can type on there. And then if I don't want to talk to people, I just, you know, I don't go on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, No, I I have the same issue with like, I mean, I'm starting to finally, like, actually just contact people for various blog posts I want to write, like, seek out, like, outside comment, basically. So, like, not everyone gets back to me, but like, you know, it's just, you sort of have to give yourself permission to just start contacting people and acting like you're a reporter slash you know, journalistic type right. person who has like, I mean, my blog's real enough that like it's been around long enough that I've done enough that I feel like that I can claim like, oh yeah, look, I'm just contacting sources to get expertise that I don't have. Exactly. Um, yes. And I have like this whole fear of when I contact people, like I've, I'm working on getting over that, that I'm just bothering them. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Like what I'm doing isn't that big of a deal and I shouldn't bother you about this which is ridiculous because you know people contact me and i'm like sure i'll help you or no i can't help you like i've never been like Ugh, right exactly i don't want to talk to that person like yeah no i feel like uh everybody will love to have a personal editor for their <laughs> grants and all those things like just to send them and then they they finalize the product what I feel is like not everybody can afford that. So yeah. that's why. And I don't I don't know if you can you pay editing from the grant? No, you can't pay editing from the grant. It generally comes out of overhead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you can't pay for the next grant out of a previous grant. Okay, yeah. Um, they you might be able to do it for manuscript services, but I, I don't like I don't know and I couldn't I am not a research admin, like administrator, so you'd have to talk about that part with them. Um, but some, a lot of schools are willing, or a lot of um, colleges or departments or divisions are willing to pay some money for their um, faculty members' grants to get edited because it gives them a leg up on the competition. Like especially with the NIH, I think the average pay line now is around seventeen or so percent. Yeah and like yeah no i I think that's exactly right yeah yeah so i mean if you like the amount of money i charge basically works out to be maybe two elizas so if you're asking for 1.25 million dollars that like over the course of five years then that isn't very much money in comparison and also i feel it takes some time away from the person that is writing because uh you can have the ideas, but then editing is a pain. <laughs> like yes. to 
make everything look right and to all those to make sure that there there are no typos and and all those things mm -hmm. it requires yes. a lot of energy right. right and what i also do is i go through because i i primarily edit um biomedical sciences um subjects so i have the scientific expertise to be able to say okay this makes sense this doesn't make sense you're you know, you're missing controls, you're not explaining this very well, like, I am enough of an, I'm enough of an outsider to where I can come in and I can see where the holes in your logic are a little bit as well. So it's not quite purely grammar. So, um, yeah, like, because your reviewers on the review panel, they're going to be people who are familiar with the field in general, mm -hmm. but they're not going to be familiar with your particular niche. Right. Yes. So, like, if, yeah, so, like, if you're working on something, like, if you're going to submit to, say, um, NHLBI, so the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, and you're working on stroke, and you're working on MRI and stroke, you might have people who have all sorts of different imaging techniques, but they don't know anything about your particular imaging technique in your particular system. Right. So, or not as much about that. Like they won't have the same specialized knowledge. So I can come in and say, okay, you need to take a step back here because you're not explaining this or here's how you can make this a little bit clearer or these are the review criteria. You're not meeting these right now. Or you are meeting these and it's fantastic and yay, go you. Like, I can provide all those perspectives. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's also just, I mean, it's hard to be your own editor. So yes. like, I mean, it helps. Like, it helps having more than one set of eyes on a thing. Like, yeah, just, that's the I, you thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you, you, most of the time you're working on that text for days, sometimes mm -hmm. weeks. And then you, you need like either to let us sleep don't read for right. a couple of days or have a new set of eyes that's kind of like and it's good because as you said sometimes you're the expert and you just think that the way that you're writing people will understand but then maybe it's not understandable or your line of thought is kind of broken right well, mm -hmm. like, and sometimes it's small things. Like, I edited a grant last year for somebody who works on circadian rhythms. And she works primarily in mice. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. mice have their active period. They're nocturnal. So they have their active period at night. And then they have their rest period during the day. And the way the grant was written, you might not, like, right off the bat, if you weren't thinking about it in that sort of terms, you would say, well, wait a minute this is lower during the day and shouldn't it be higher during the, like if you weren't thinking about mice being nocturnal, then you would think that this particular measurement should be higher during the day because mm -hmm. they're active. Mm. And for people, it would be higher during the day because you're active and at night you're sleeping. So it was a matter of like switching terminology. So instead of calling it like night versus day, calling it active versus, versus rest period. So people weren't bumping on that idea. Mm -hmm. so i mean sometimes it's just small things like you're so into it like of course like this is how it is but if you're not right there in it then sometimes things get a little bit muddied so um i'm curious how does your a normal day of work looks like um it varies quite a bit but i so I primarily work where you well you all can see me 
where I'm sitting now is where I work during most of the day. Um, so f I have, along with having a partner, I also have two children. So my days start kind of early. I get up before they do, which if anybody has small children, they know that's rather early. <laughs> um, so, and because I work with Bite Size Bio, they, we have clients in Europe. So I will wake up early so I can either talk with them or email with them and get a start on my day. And then, you know, there's the chaos in the mornings. And then generally I try to do, break up my days into, my day into chunks. So I'll spend a chunk working on like grant A, a chunk working on manuscript B, and then maybe doing some bite-sized bio work in the afternoon. Um, but it varies quite a bit as to what I'm working on, but I do spend a lot of time at my computer, a lot of time in this room. Um, and then every so often I'll get out and try to go to like a coffee shop or something like that to get some work done. Yeah, how was the transition to work uh, in the lab, to work at home? So it went both better and worse than I thought it would. So better in the sense of I'm very introverted. So I loved not having other people around me. Like, <laughs> which I know is like the exact opposite. Of yeah, I'm just thinking like, oh my God, I, I, I'm clapping on the walls every <laughs> afternoon that I need human interaction. <laughs> like, I am perfectly happy. I send, like, after I take my oldest elementary school, I come home and I... Well, he's in summer break now. But, like, I come home and everybody's gone and it's great. I sit in my office. I get work done. Um, so that part was really great. But then about a month or so in last summer, I realized that I hadn't left the house in, like, a week. Oh, my God. That never, that mm -hmm. can never happen with you. Yeah. Because it was over the summer. My um, partner would take the kids to school or to school, to daycare or summer camp. Um and I would be home and like, you know, there was no reason for me to run out to the store or anything because they would just pick up stuff on the way home. And I hadn't left the house in like a week. And I was like, oh, that really, really needs to change. Because I was starting to like get, like you were talking about climbing the walls. I was starting to get like the climbing the walls feeling and just getting restless and not wanting to be in my office anymore. So um, I had to start like making sure that I... <laughs> had regular interaction with people. So that does happen to introverts as well. It just takes like, for me, it takes a couple of hours and for you, it takes a week. <laughs> yeah, for me, it takes a week. Yeah, so I've started to get better about scheduling regular times to, you know, talk to people, brush up on my social skills, that sort of thing. Good. So I'm I, nodding yes. <laughs> I should say that because it's an audio podcast, you see. Um, <laughs> yeah, it helps, Ian, if you speak other than just nod. Mm -hmm. So it seems that you're happier now yes. than you were in the lab. Yes, I'm much happier now um, than when I was in the lab. I enjoy what I do. I feel like I have a lot more, um, I feel like I have a lot more control over my life and, um, in my career, like even with the uncertainty about like, you know, money coming in next month or like what projects I'm going to be working on, I feel like I'm in more control because I have more of a direct effect on that. 
Yeah. No, I, yeah, I can understand that. And like, I mean, I imagine you can regiment your day a little bit better too. Like, I mean, you have work and then you have off time basically. And that's a pretty clear divide. Yes. Yeah. I've been working, well, I've been working on that because I had a hard time with boundaries for a while. Like it's easy for me just to work all the time. Well, oh, sure. Yeah. Like any off time I have just to fill in with work. So like it was easy for me to, you know, get up in the mornings, spend time with kids and family and then work during the day, spend evenings with them and then go back doing work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have now drawn kind of like strict boundaries. So I don't do that anymore. Good. Not as much. Yeah, so you have, uh, how is this boundary? It's kind of like a time cut or uh, an amount of hours? Do you try to do you try to work um, an amount of hours per day? More of a time cut for me. So anything after about 5 o'clock, I try not to do any more work. Um, and I won't check email. Well, it's not a hard and fast rule. But like I tried not to check email after 8 p.m. Because I'm not going to, like, I like what am I going to do about it? Like, I'm not going to jump back on the computer and try to do something about it after 8. Um, but then it helps me to think, like, okay, now is family time or now is time for this and not try to think about work. Yeah, I'm, I was just curious and thinking because uh, whenever you do you do edit you charge it's your time that you you're charging right so you well, have to charge, take notes and i charge per word for like grants and manuscripts okay so, so like like so it's like if it's an eight thousand word manuscript you charge based on eight thousand words yes for example yeah for example like if that's how it is then that's how like that's how i charge because i was doing by hour hourly at first um but the problem that I ran into with that is that it felt very, it was very variable for people that I worked with. Like, I would tell, like, if I was talking to a PI, I'd say, okay, your grant or your manuscript to edit will take between X and Y hours. And when you tell people that, they tend to think of the lower amount as being the absolute amount. So if it took me a little bit longer, like somewhere between X and Y, like X and a half or something, then... I never got direct pushback, but I got some kind of like, um, right. I can't quite come up with the right word, but like they weren't quite as happy. Um, whereas if I said, okay, this is an 8,000 word manuscript and I charge X amount per word, this is how much it's going to be. Then people were much more happier and confident about that. Yeah. I heard a story that Charles Dickens got paid by the word to write his serial <laughs> in the newspapers yes. and that's why they're long and like there's so many like adjectives and like yeah it was the best of times it was the worst of times about you know like just going on and on and, like, <laughs> oh, and part of the reason he was doing that is because he got paid for every word that he wrote well and the other thing I found is that if I say okay I'm going to charge by the word then people will go through and they'll try to cut out like they will yeah, do a little bit but, more. Yeah, if you're editing, the, yes. A little bit more work yep. on the front end. Um, on the flip side, I've gotten much more efficient with things, like because I know what I'm looking for and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, you just so, get better at what you're doing. Right. So things that might have taken me an hour to do an hour to do before might only take me thirty minutes to do now because as I've 
started doing it, I know kind of what I'm looking for. I've employed some macros with Word to automatically do some things and fancy, you know. And why should I get like and I, like there's that story about the plumber. Have you like the Joe the plumber? Joe the plumber. Joe the plumber. Well, like okay, so somebody like somebody their kitchen is flooding or their water heater isn't working or something like that, and they call a plumber. The plumber comes out and he walks up to the whatever it is and takes a screwdriver and turns a screw and everything's solved. And he bills the person like a hundred bucks. And the Mm -hmm. guy was like, and then the the person who called the plumber was like, it's a hundred bucks. All you did is come out here and turn the screw. And he's like, yeah, it was, you know. A dollar for turning the screw and $99 for the 20 years of experience that taught me how to turn the screw. Right. Yes. So like, you know, so because I got more efficient, I'm still giving the same product and it might be even a little bit better, but it's not taking me as long. So getting paid less for that doesn't make quite as much sense. Yeah. And you're talking like word macros to remove things like double spaces after periods and right. stuff or strip like out, that. Yeah, things like that. Strip out um contractions. Um But some people are really attached to their double spaces after the period, right? Yeah, but it's wrong. Uh, I mean, but it's you wrong. just can't do it. Like but you, it's you wrong literally cannot it can... do it. Like, yeah. Yes, it is the wrongest thing to have ever wronged. And <laughs> <laughs> Like, no matter what, it's going in with single spaces after the period. Like, yes. if you're looking about a grant or a manuscript, like, I mean, no matter what, in the final product, it's going to be a single space after the period. Like, I mean, yeah. Well, like, they can add up to, like, a quarter of a page. When yeah. you've got a, when you have a hard and fast 12-page or 6-page limit for a grant, that quarter of a page matters. Matters. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other, like, sources and things? Like, you know, do you have any, like, you don't have to give away all the tricks of the trade, obviously, but, like... Were the things that are really helpful, like learning to edit, or was it just doing it more that really tended to help? Um, it was a mix between the two. So the macros really helped because that helped with um, getting things, like just being able to run, like you run one thing and it goes all the way through. Right. Um, what else did it do? Like I have got things that do that. I have things that check like um like spacing around commas that'll highlight different people tend to switch between different styles between word paragraphs so like you might have one paragraph that's justified or one page that's justified one that's left justified oh Um, yeah okay yeah like fixing those sort of things using styles to make sure all your headings are formatted properly Mm -hmm. um so things like so i mean some of that is some like so that was kind of macros and experience um experience things are you know just knowing what reviewers are going to be looking for Mm -hmm. and being able to go through and say okay like these are the like and knowing what people commonly leave out that you can look for and head in right away like for the rigor and reproducibility people commonly leave out sample sizes or inclusion and exclusion criteria Mm mm-hmm I just uh, was thinking, do you ask your clients uh, to let you know if the grant is funded or not? Yes, I do ask that. 
Um, and I get some people who come back to, who will come back and tell me and some people who don't, like some people I follow up because I have the title of the grant. So I'll look in CRISPR a couple of, well, about six months later to see if it's been funded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have, like my success rate right now is about double what the NIH has nice. as a total. Nice. Yeah, that's good. I mean, do you, are you like, I guess those are speaking of advertising, do you get quotes from clients? Like, have you done I that am working on, I'm working on putting tea. So, bef- like, before we started recording, or w- I was talking about how I get really kind of, um, what's the word, like, shy, embarrassed. Verklempt. Verklempt. Hey, to put it in the Yiddish way. Yeah. About talking yeah. about myself in, like, the third person or in that sort of way. So I've started um, soliciting, like, testimonials and stuff to be able to put together on my website. Um I haven't quite done that yet because it feels too much like tooting my own horn. <laughs> it feels, and it also it feels kind of silly. Like if somebody has, you know, gotten funded or enjoyed working with me, like to be able to say, "Hey, so would you write me this?" Like it just sounds very, um, like I'm very full of myself with that, which is not. Yeah, how I, I, I mean, but it's not though. I mean, it's just saying like. Yeah, this is my experience. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it can be yeah. as flat as that. Like, whether they're, I mean, if they're glowing quotes, then wonderful. But, like, it's just, you know, like, you can ask them as flat as that. It's like, would you write a blurb about your experience working with me? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that can yeah. be the simple ask that doesn't seem super pretentious, I guess. And then they can come back with, you know. Yeah, and they can, can say, they can say yes or no, you know? That's... Mm-hmm. That's not the end of the world, but I'm pretty sure that if they, if you ask, especially if you ask immediately after the grant was funded, (laughs) that is the right timing, you know, because they are all happy and then you're part of the success as well. You know, you're part of it. And although you don't get the money, well, okay, they pay for you for your edits like back in the day but you don't get any part of the grant yeah. money that they're receiving but it seems that then it will be good for you to get a little bit of the recognition and then helps you to spread the word yeah i mean i know it's the thing i should be doing it's just it just feels so i don't know mm-hmm. <sighs> like i'm asking a lot and i like intellectually i know it's not because i mean people have asked me for recommendations before and i'm or you know testimonials for things that i've done or you products i've used and i've always been like yeah sure that sounds fine but i don't know me asking other people just seems like beyond the pale i i need to get over that yes yes you need because it's it's totally fine it's totally okay ian Mm -hmm. do you want to do you want to ask anything else? No, I'm, no, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I think I don't have any, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to ask. Like, this and is... I've probably babbled enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was really nice. It was really, even we talked every week and I know a lot about what you do, but um, talking this interview was really nice to learn more, understand more what you do. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And thanks for listening to the Recovering Academy podcast. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. See you next time, everybody. Bye. 
This week's Recovering Academic is sponsored by Scientific Dispatches Consulting, an editorial service for scientists. They specialize in helping you tell your research story clearly and concisely. Scientific Dispatches offers consulting, editing, writing, and presentation preparation services. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation at scientificdispatches.com. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find out about us. You can tweet the show at recoveringacad. You can also find all of the hosts on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. We're also on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash recovering academic podcast. You can find all of our episodes and subscribe to our newsletter on our website at recoveringacademic.net. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower.